And all the time, amen, amen. It's good to be reminded of those things, amen. No matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, we serve a good, a loving, and gracious God. Situations don't change the Lord. They may change our perspectives, but they do not change him. He is still on the throne. He is still large. He is still in charge. He is glorious, amen. Hallelujah. Come on, give him another hand of praise. He is worthy. Y'all got it today. I don't know. Y'all was singing and stuff, had me going crazy up in here. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 34 and 40. We ended there last week, and we're going to start there this week so we can continue on in our series. It's time to revision. The book of Matthew 20, chapter 22, verse 34, when you got it, say so. And it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your greatness, Lord God, because you are a great, glorious, and merciful God. And we just thank you because we know, Lord Jesus, that you are good. We can trust in your goodness toward us. We can trust in your kindness and mercy. So, Lord, we humble ourselves before you today, and we ask you, Lord God, that you would speak to us from your throne room today. We ask you to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. I pray, God, that I would decrease, that you would increase, and that you would be heard through me, God, that our lives would be changed as a result of you speaking to us, Lord. And I pray that we would not be idle hearers of your word, but that we would be faithful respondents to it. Father, we ask you all of these things in Jesus' good name, someone said. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand. The ushers will get you one. We want to make sure everyone has an outline. Keep your hand up for a moment so that way the ushers can see you. I want to make sure everybody has the outlines that are there. If you're a guest with us for the first time, we just want to thank you. Can we give a hand to our guests for the first time that are with us today? We thank you so much for being with us, and we appreciate you being here, and we hope that you're blessed in this service today. And we just ask that, um, that everyone, as you fill out these outlines, that you would write in the answers to the questions there because they are going to be utilized in our Connect groups. Connect is our small groups that meet throughout the week in different homes, and we discuss the scriptures that, we're, that are being preached and the messages that are being preached, and it is for the purpose of us growing together in a relationship and also for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. The Bible never calls us to be single, solitary Christians by ourselves. Sanctification does not occur the way that it should if you are alone. Amen. Because by yourself, it's easy to be holy. When you get around other people, because they're unholy, right? It's all them. Their unholiness brings out something in you. I don't know what we'll call that, but nonetheless, it's the other people's unholiness. So we need you to be around some other people that are unholy so you can become more holy. So your holiness can rub off on us. Amen. 
So if you want to be part of the Holiness Rub-Off crew, that's called Connect, glory to God. You can see Pastor Chad, and he will hook you up if you're not part of a Connect ministry. And all seriousness and all jokes aside, we do, want to, we do have to understand that we do not grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus if we are not together confronting one another, Lord, um, uh, challenging one another's faith, communicating the scriptures, praying for one another, building each other up, having someone there to say, hey, man, you're wrong, or you're right, or be encouraged. You need to continue forward. We need that in our lives. And so it's important for us to be together in Connect. And so we want everyone to be part of that. And so we ask you to get connected. And so we are going to continue on in our series here today, which is it's time to revision. We started last week in the beginning of the year because we know that people come into the new year and they have some goals or some things that they want to set up in their lives. And so what we want to do is we want to give what I believe to be the most important things for us to do or the most important thing. I talked about one thing last week in particular, and it wasn't just the loving God, but it was about pleasing the Lord. And it is that we should desire to please God, that that should be the filter of all of our lives. Everything we do, every thought that we think, every decision we make, every conversation that we have, every action that we partake in, we should ask ourselves this question, does this please the Lord? No matter what it is, and I'll tell you what, when you start asking yourself that question about things pleasing God, you may see or may notice that there may be a lot of things that you thought were okay to do that are not okay to do. Maybe a lot of things that you thought were cool and God is okay with it. And let me explain this to you. God is holy. He ain't your boy. He is righteous. He's not the man upstairs. He is a holy God who is sitting on the throne. And so when we talk about God, we are talking about a holy God. And when we start to ask the question, does this please the Lord? It comes in line with his character and who he is. Because he is holy, because he is righteous, his standards are not your standards. His feelings are not your feelings. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways by nature because we are all sinful by nature. Therefore, our thoughts are way beneath his. Our ways are way beneath his. Our desires are way beneath his. Therefore, when we live from that place, does this please the Lord, we begin to live in a totally different way. See, we start to know some things about him, and the only way we're going to know what pleases him or what displeases him is primarily starting by what? By us being in the word of God. That is the reason why we began the scriptures. We talked about this particular text here in the book of Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus begins to be questioned. He had been bombarded. They've been trying to trip him up. They've been trying to trick him and get him to mess up in his words. And he did not do anything like that. What he did was he continued to confound the wise men. Say wise men. The people who thought they knew everything, the people who thought they had all of the answers, he continues to confound them. And when they come to this final place, I was, I was reading it right now, I, I, I looked and I noticed it said a lawyer. And you know, lawyers always try to be slick, right? Yeah. If we have any lawyers in the house, I'm sorry, you may not be trying to be slick, but lawyers are known for being slick. You remember that, that movie a long time ago, Jim Carrey, Liar, Liar? Yeah, yeah, I remember now. So that was a depiction, right? It was a comic depiction of this lawyer that he was trying not to lie because he was so used to lying to get things done. And so this is the thing. They try to be slick. They try to, you know, hold back stuff or throw things in there that are going to um, cause a monkey wrench. And this lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him this most profound and most important question. And we started dealing with it last week. And so ask Jesus this, what is the most important command? Jesus one-ups him. He says, I'm going to give you what's the most important command, and I'm also going to give you what is the next important command, and know this, that upon these two commands hang all the law. I told you last week I quoted um, Pastor Dan Holland, who said what? He said that it's two commands, the rest is commentary, right? 
That's what it is. It's really two commands. Love God, love people. That is it. And the rest is commentary. And it's all commands. And God communicates what he says and what he wants as we're looking at today. But Jesus, and he comes at his second point. And that's what we want to address today. We want to look at that, the second thing that he says when he communicates that second thing that is of most importance here. So as we continue, and you can follow me along in your outline here, as we continue to revision and gain biblical insight for what is pleasing to the Lord, we will hopefully discover that living to please the Lord Jesus is ultimately the most satisfying and liberating way to live. See, when I live my life in a manner that brings pleasure to God, understand this, you are not going to live a life that is bringing pleasure to God and you're not going to experience satisfaction. When you and I are really living for the glory of Jesus from the place of love, like we talked about last week, motivated by the love of God, then what begins to happen is we begin to live in a manner that brings glory to God. But as we're living for his glory, we experience satisfaction. But it is also liberating because what? Because what happens is I'm not worried about his opinion, her opinion, their opinion, even my opinion. I'm worried about one opinion. That's God's opinion. And when I know that I've lived in a way that brings glory to God, guess what that does? That liberates me from the fear of man. Hello. That liberates me from worrying about what other people think about me. That liberates me from all of the other stuff because I am concerned about one thing. And here's the beauty of this. It is that when we, when we are living for the glory and for the honor of Jesus, what happens is we begin to experience that freedom. And not just freedom, but you know what? When you are really living to please God, guess what you also do? You bless others. You see, when I live for the glory of Jesus, I experience satisfaction. But when I live for the glory of Jesus, I also bless other people. I'm liberated. I'm free. But here's the thing. It is gonna, there, there, there are some times now that you are going to offend some other people when you are living for the glory of Jesus. So it doesn't mean you're going to walk around and everybody that sees you is like, hey, that's one that's pleasing the Lord. They got a smile on their face all the time, and I just love them. That's not going to be like that all the time. But when you are living for the glory of Jesus, you are going to be a blessing where you are. And listen, sometimes, you know, you, the, the hard part has to come before the good part comes. Some part, the difficulty has to come, the confrontation has to come before what? The peace, the joy, the love, the, those things that begin to overflow. So we want to live this life that is with that one question, am I pleasing the Lord? We learned last week that upon two principles, which are commands, not just principles that we can kind of live by, loving God and loving our fellow man, hang the whole of scriptures, the law and the prophets. And the beauty of this is that the motive to love God and others is because God first loved us. See, God isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't already done. God isn't asking us to do something out of our own motivation, out of our own will. What he is saying is, I've loved you, and I've put my love in your heart, and therefore just live out of that. That's what he's communicating to us, and we're going to see this a little bit more in the scriptures that we look at. And so growing together in love is the natural outworking of someone who has been redeemed, brought into a right relationship with God. That's what it means to be redeemed. You were in a wrong relationship with God. You were God's enemy. And so if you're in this place and you have put your faith in Jesus, you are no longer God's enemy, and you are given a right relationship with God. But if you are in this place and you have not put your faith in Jesus, if you're in this place you have not recognized your sin, and turned from them and surrendered your life to his lordship, then you are what the Bible says, God's enemy. Now listen, I, I, I can be an enemy with anyone, but I just really don't want to be God's enemy. Like you think about the people that you want, like, you know, when you were in school, like there were certain people you were like, I'm okay being his enemy, you know, he's not that bad. But then there were some people that you were like, yo, I don't want to be on their bad side. 
I, I just want to avoid them completely, you know, just stay on the good side. I'm going to do everything I can not to confront them. Can I tell you something? God is the one being that you do not want to be his enemy. And here was a sad reality that all of us, because of our sin, are his enemies. And you know what happens to enemies? Enemies are destroyed ultimately. But here's the beauty of our God, is that our God always gives us the opportunity to no longer be his enemy, but to be his friends. He gives us the opportunity to no longer be his enemies, but to become his children. How did he do that? Well, his enemies were on his way for destruction. But what God does is through the power of the sacrifice of the son, which is what happens that brings us into this right relationship, Jesus dies this bloody death in order to do what? In order to make his enemies his friends. In order to make his enemies his family members. And so what he does is he dies in our place, resurrects to show us he has the power to transfer us from being his enemies to being his sons and his friends. He does that and then he offers us the opportunity to do what? To receive his grace. That's what he does. That's the beauty of this gospel that you'll hear me talk about. And the moment that we decide that we will turn from our sin, recognizing the reason why I am your enemy is not because of the color of my skin. It's not because of the family I was born into. It's not because of the nation where I live. It's not because of any of those things. It is simply because I am a sinner by nature and by decision. When I recognize that I'm your enemy because of that, and then I put my wholehearted trust in him, what he does is he says, I no longer look at you that way. I call you my son. I call you my daughter. Come and be with me. I give you a new identity. I give you a new name. That's the beauty of this gospel. I give you a right standing with me. But see, but here's what happens. You don't just get a right standing with God. You become part of this, this, this I was going to say ginormous, but you become part of this enormous giant, right? Like you become part of this cosmic family. And when I say that, I'm not being funny. Like I'm not talking about aliens. What I'm saying is that in the heavens, the book of Hebrews says that there is this great cloud of witness where in the heavens we are part of a family of faith we become part of this family but not only are we part of that see because everyone's cool with being part of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because you ain't dealing with Abraham Isaac and Jacob you're dealing with Tony and you're dealing with Chuck and you're dealing with Ted and you're dealing with Amy and Lisa I know and I was trying to make sure I said no one's name in here maybe I said a name but anyway you're dealing with all of those people. You're dealing with Marisol and Rolando, Pastor Aldo. You're dealing with Helen. You're dealing with Tatiana. You're, you're dealing with all the... Oh, wait, hold on a second. I don't know if I want to be part of that family. That family's a little crazy, right? I want to be part of that family of faith. I want to be part... I want to be like Abel. I want to be like Noah. I want to be like all of these people. But, um, but the people I see... See, but God calls us into this relationship, and the natural outworking, the natural outflow is that we become part of this family. And what we do is we begin to grow in this relationship. And so what happens is growing together, I finished reading this, growing together in love is the natural outworking of someone who has been redeemed, brought into a right relationship with God the Father through the sacrifice of God the Son and is filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when I come to Jesus... He fills me with his spirit, and so now I become part of him, but I also become part of you. And we become part and participant with one another, and we must recognize that because if we're going to have our life's revision, then we need to make sure that we're focused on the things that bring pleasure and bring honor to God. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me this, say, growing together in love is rooted in Jesus' sacrifice. 
growing together in love is rooted in Jesus' sacrifice. What happens is we find that Jesus died not just to save me, but to save us. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John, and we're going to spend our time there. We know that Jesus gave this last command to love your neighbor as yourself, but Jesus, um, or, or John, the apostle, he communicates some things in the book of 1 John that are going to be helpful for us to continue to grow in our understanding of what I mean when I say growing together in love is rooted in Jesus' sacrifice. So turn to John, and we're going to, actually, we're going to look at John chapter 3, verse, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. When you got that, say so. I only got a couple of souls, so I'm going to wait. First John is toward the back of the Bible there. Hallelujah. Right before second John, right? What's it after, pastor? Hallelujah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just messing with you, man. Listen, I, listen, I'm going to confess this. I was in a men's Bible study, and we were going through the books of the Bible, and I forgot those two books. That's why I asked you that. I forgot first and second Peter come before first, second, and third John. So I'm, I'm, I'm worse than you, man. Amen, amen. See, there you go. Are we all there? First John. I was just trying to, you know, do something so they could have some time to get there with us, all right? So they're there. So we are going to read this together. So we are in First John chapter 3, verse 16, and it says this. It says, by this we know love. Now pause for a moment. By this we know love. So this is the way that we know love. This is the way that we as Christians understand this love. And this is the word agape here, right? This is that love that is defining or definitive of who God is, right? It is who he is in his character and his nature. By this we know love. How? By this what? By this. Because he laid down his life for us. Now pause there because there's a couple of periods for us. So by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Now let's look at the rest of that verse. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let's just stop there. By this, we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we should do the same for our brethren. When was the last time you made a real sacrifice for your brother, your sister in Christ? When was the last time you did something sacrificial to help your brother and sister in Christ? That's what Jesus did for us. That's what the Bible commands of us. Because of what Jesus... See, we know love because of the sacrifice that God made for us. So how is it that we express love and experience love? It is when we begin to lay our lives down for our brothers. See, a long time ago, we had, when, when I, I'm going to give you some quick history on my life. When I first became a Christian, church that I went to, you know, drinking was wrong. There was no question about that at that time. A little legalistic at that time. Dancing was wrong. There were certain things that were just wrong by the definition of the, you know, the church. So me, I, as a young Christian, I, I, had a pro, I had a problem with the dancing part. I didn't have a problem with the drinking part. I was like, I don't care about drinking, but man, can I dance? I'm just saying. I've been liberated since then, glory to God. Every wedding that I go to, I'm tempted to go dance. And I think I've danced once or twice, but I'm tempted. I'm tempted. Here's the thing. This is what happened. As I continue to grow in my faith, right, it's not a sin to dance, amen? 
So let me just throw that out there. It's not a sin to dance, glory to God. The Bible says there is a time to dance. Y'all see the dance in the right timing. Amen. Amen. I'm just saying. That's why I'm tempted because since I got, I, I got a, had a legalistic spirit on me for like 15 years, and then I'm like, man, I'm off timing now. So that's why I'm tempted because I'm tempted to make a fool of myself. Let's just get it right. Okay. So anyway, moving on from my dance problems, okay? I'm going to take some dance lessons and we're going to be all right. But here's the thing. The drinking part. As I grow in my Christianity, I started to notice that there were certain people that were, you know, they were drinking and I considered them to be people of God. I was like, hold on a second. I thought this was a sin. I studied my Bible, started to realize God doesn't say drinking is a sin. God says being drunk is a sin. But here's something that I would tell you on a personal level. Listen to me now. I know y'all still thinking about my dancing. Stop. I'm, I'm talking about my drinking now. Y'all want to hear about that, don't you? Amen. I'm just saying, right? My drunkenness. No, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. The thing is, no matter how free I am to drink, you know why you'll never see me drink? Because I never want to be a stumbling block to someone else. Because in me, what I do is I lay down my life. I lay down my desires. For what? For you. For anyone that I'm around. And when I say you, I don't just mean you. I mean anyone that's around me. I don't ever want to be a cause of offense for someone. You won't see me doing certain things around. And I, I just won't do stuff because of what? Because I have to live this. This is what it means to live in this sacrificial way. Now, listen, it doesn't mean that in private, I don't do, listen, in private, I'll tell you right now, you never, in private, you won't see me drinking. I just, I'm not drawn to that. But here's the thing. The thing is, when we consider these decisions that we make in our lives and the way that we live, am I living in a way that brings pleasure to God? And am I living in a way that reflects the love that God showed me? See, that's the question we have to ask ourselves when we're talking about growing in this relationship because growing together is rooted in love. Now, turn, I look over at John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. That's really where we want to spend some time. I just wanted to point that out very clearly that we're supposed to lay our lives down. That should be a memory verse for you. Amen? I think that's going to be the memory verse for next month, all right? 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to read there. It says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I think the scriptures are pretty clear that we're supposed to love, right? And, and, and we're supposed to be sacrificial in our love. It's clear within the scriptures that based upon Jesus' great work, the greatest demonstration of unconditional love, we are called to love one another and to love one another in a real way. The word agapeo, which is used here, it means when you're talking about a person, it means to welcome, it means to entertain, it means to be fond of, it means to love dearly. So my question is, to your brothers and sisters, are you welcoming? Are you willing to entertain them? And I don't mean like be a jester for them. I mean, are you willing to entertain them? Like spend time with them, open your home to them. Are you fond of your brothers and sisters? Hello. 
Are you that is, is that what's going on inside of your heart? Do you love them dearly or do they really not matter? Because what God said, I didn't say this, and we're going to talk about this in a moment. It's going to be my last point that we deal with. But this is a real picture of our heart, and really do I know God. If I don't love, I don't know him. Agape love is the nature of God. When it says that God is love, a better translation would be that God, because love is kind of abstract, it is not. God is in his nature love. In his nature, he is loving. He loves us. He cares for us. He's concerned of us. He is fond of us. He welcomes us. He spends time with us. Don't we have an awesome God? He shows us what love is really supposed to be like. And so agape love is the nature of God expressed most extravagantly on the cross. We talked about this, that us being enemies, and now we're, we're sons if we're his. As believers motivated by this great sacrifice and recipients of this great grace, we should be devoted to growing in loving relationships with other believers and must realize to love one another is, is a command, not a divine subject, suggestion. To love others, hear me when I say this, it's not optional. This is not something that we can just say, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really feel like loving him. Okay? So you're a violator of God's law. Why? God commands us to love. He doesn't say, hey, man, this is a good suggestion. He doesn't say, hey, you know what, this would be a good idea. He's not, you know, you'll experience some good stuff out of this. Just No, 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 no. He commands us to love, period. It is a commandment of God. God says, love. Love your neighbor as yourself. He makes it abundantly clear. And here's where the problem is for us, for many of us anyway. Our cultural mindset of, individu of individualism has caused many believers to struggle to grow beyond themselves. And when I say themselves, I mean beyond their biological or immediate family and their Christian walk. See, our culture, our culture really wants people to be individuals, really wants you to get along by yourself. You don't need to connect. I mean, you think about it. We are connected to the world in milliseconds because of the Internet, but are we really connected to anyone at all? When I first started playing that word, uh, that game, Words with Friends, I'll never forget, there was somebody that I was playing with on, on Words with Friends, and I think it was a girl because the name was a feminine-type name, so I'm assuming it was a girl. It could have been a guy, but I, I think it was a girl, and I... She, she was like, so where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from, you know, Florida. And she was like, okay. And I'm like, where are you from? She's like, I'm, I'm from sunny Singapore. So I'm playing words with friends with someone who is in a totally different continent, somebody that is so, totally on a different part of the world. Was I connected to that person in any way, shape, or form other than a stupid game? No. Most of us, our deepest connections, you know where they are? <laughs> Sadly. They're on the Internet. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. Do you understand how limited your communication is with people through those avenues? Look, some of us nowadays, I love my wife. She is amazing. And I'll sit there and, you know, I'm, I, I, to be completely honest with you, when I first, 12, 12 years ago, we first started this church, I didn't even check email. I didn't even have an email address, to be honest. I had an email address, but I never checked it. And people be like, I sent you an email. I'm like, really? Okay. So I started checking email. And before you know it, then, you know, I, I started checking email daily. I would check, you know, once a week. And then, you know, as time progressed, I grew into this. And so now, you know, everybody texts. That's what everybody does. Nobody, listen, nobody calls to tell you anything. It's so much easier just to say, hey, I won't be there. Because then it's like kind of awkward, like, why? 
So I'm gonna just hit you back with the awkwardness. Why? Why are you not gonna be there? If you're gonna, you're just gonna just throw it out there like that, you know? Because you could be sick or something like that. And when you call, you know, because when you when you when you used to have to call in, you had to get that voice right before you called. <laughs> Through text, you just be like, not feeling well, really. You're over there sipping on lemonade in the shade over there somewhere. You feeling great? You just need a mental health day, right? I'm just saying. It's all good. Take a mental health day. That's 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 a type of sickness. But my point is, right? People nowadays we don't communicate. You you we don't pick up the phone to talk to anyone. And my wife, the reason why I brought her up is because she'll see me in the car, and I'm like sitting here, and I, and I can I can text pretty quick. I'm like, bah, 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 bah. and she's like, why are you going through all that? Pick up the phone and call them. And the reality is, a it would be faster, and b it would be what? It'd be more personal. So in our days, what happens is we have this individualism that creeps into our minds, it creeps into our hearts, and so we're, it's hard for us to get beyond ourselves in our Christianity because when I come to Jesus, I'm really concerned with me being saved, my family being saved, and us experiencing God's blessing. But the question is, do you care about anyone else receiving God's blessing? Do you care? Is, if you and yours are all right, is everything okay? See, that's the individualistic mindset that we have in our culture. See, they, we, we can't see past ourselves and how the gospel unites us in one body, unites us in one faith, and unites us in one mission. Here's what happens. The gospel unites us as one body, making us members of one another. Do you realize that you are not just sitting in a building with people that decided to get dressed up and come to church, but you are sitting together with people who are part of you? That's, that's the truth. If you're believers in here, God, because of the gospel, unites us in one body. He unites us in one faith. What does that mean for us? That means that he makes us children of the same father in the same family. And then he puts us on one mission together. And what does that do? That makes us co-laborers together under one king in one kingdom. This is what God does for us. He makes us one in faith. He makes us one as a body. And he makes us one on his mission. We're called to work together. This should be the natural outworking that we see within our lives. The second thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, growing together in love is reflected in the first church and throughout Scripture. Growing together in love is reflected in the first church and throughout Scripture. Look at verses 12 through 19 here. It says this. It says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because, we have, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and, and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in, in love, but love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. 
And so here's what we see. What we find is this, and just to give you a little quick history rundown of your, of your Bible. In the book of Acts, we see something that clearly happens. Acts chapter 2, you can write this down, verses 40 through 47. This is immediately following the birth of the church, which was marked by what? The coming of the Holy Spirit. The church was born in the upper room when the, when the power of God came down, and they began to speak in these new tongues that the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Spirit, and so the church is given life. And what is the first thing that begins to happen? They immediately enter into gospel-centered community and begin to grow in love with one another. This is biblical. From the beginning, the first thing that happens is they begin. As a matter of fact, many writers of the, of, uh, or many commentators on the New Testament book of Acts say and believe that the reason that the persecution had to take place in Jerusalem was because the believers there were so tight-knit and so comfortable in their relationship one with the other that if persecution would not have come, that they would have never left the comfort of that community. That's how deeply they were devoted to one another, how deeply they were committed to one another because of that. So we see that. The first thing is automatically what happens. Then we see something as you fast forward a couple of chapters and you find in Acts chapter 6, as the church was growing, the Bible says what? The Bible says that a conflict arose. So first of all, the natural thing that happens is what? Is that we begin to grow in relationship with others. And the second thing that we see that occurs is that the natural thing when community grows is that conflict happens. Say, that's natural. That's natural. But here's the supernatural thing. The supernatural response to conflict is loving resolution to keep the community of believers growing in love and in gospel devotion. They didn't decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go ahead and we're going to split over here. We're going to divide over here. We're going to do this over there. That isn't what they said in Acts chapter 6. What did they say? They said, listen, we have a job. We need to maintain ourselves in prayer and the word and and, and, and ministering the word of God. But choose among yourselves seven men of, of good reputation, filled with the spirit. And then what happens is they prayed, laid hands on them. For what? For the furtherance of the gospel. You read the narrative and what does it tell us? It tells us that when they, when they did that, that the church was able to be ministered to on different levels, but ultimately what happened? The kingdom of God continued to be expanded. Because what? Because God wants us to grow even through conflict. Amen. Amen. And in the last portion of scripture that I'll point to you before we deal with this, this portion here is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25, clearly exhorts us what? Tells us to continue It tells us that we should not forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is the custom of many. Can I tell you something? People have been wanting to check out of church for a long time. 2,000 years about approximately. People have been like, man, you know what? I don't want to hang out with them people anymore. You know what? I love Jesus. I'm going to just hang out by myself. I don't want to deal with them. I'm going to hang out by myself. But you know what God says? Don't let that become your habit but exhort one another, grow in the faith. That's what he communicates to us. And so what we find here when we're looking at the book of 1 John, we see that God says this. I love this. I want you to look at this this first verse. No one has seen God at any time. Now, I, I thought, why is that in there? Why is he talking about someone not seeing God? Why is he talking about that? No one has seen God at any time, period. He says, If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. And so what I realize is that what happens is when we are looking at God and in the sense of who he is, in his nature, he is what? He's love. And so while none of us can handle seeing God because of his holiness and his glory, and no one has seen him, when we are operating in love, guess what happens? God is seen. 
Because we are doing what? We are abiding in God and God is abiding in us. And so what we do is we continue to walk out this love relationship. We continue to grow in love. And then all of a sudden people start to see something. You know what that something is? God. People start to see that love that is permeating your, your, your life and your relationship. And all of a sudden, they see devotion to one another. They see sacrifice for one another. And when they're seeing those things, now there's a change because they're not looking at you, but they're seeing that something, and that something is God that is trying to draw them into relationship with him. See, here's the thing. When he talks about us being perfected in love, he's not talking about us being able to love perfectly because none of us can love perfectly. It is that when we see the love of God operating in our lives, that is happening in community, when we are able to, or our ability to love continually. And what I mean by loving continually is to love in compassion and in forgiveness is because of the spirit of God within us that resulted with our confession of faith in Jesus as son of God and savior of the world and is evidence of the nature of God or love that is operating in us. See, the reason why we are able to love is only because of the one who is love who is operating in our lives. Because of all the things that he says here, look, we read it, he says this, he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And so what is he saying there? He's saying we have his spirit, that's the reason why I can love. That's the only reason why you and I can abide in love is because we have his spirit. He says, and we have, and, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent the son as a savior of the world. And so what has to happen? We have to recognize that Jesus is the only savior. If we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we have to recognize that. He says, whoever confesses that Jesus is Son of God, there it is again, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And we continue and he says, love has been perfected among us in this. You see, what happens is when the love of God is operating in our lives, when the love of God is manifesting in our lives, then what happens is we have this confidence that he's talking about right here. When we're walking in this relationship with God, with one another, then this is what happens, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in the world. See, here's the thing. When Jesus was in the world, was he known by the world? No. Did the world recognize or understand him? No. We're the same way if we're operating in the love of God that's operating in our lives as a result of our redemption. And so we're just like Christ. We're, 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 we're something different in the world. Instead of being something that is the norm, we're something that's different. Verse 18, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You know why? You know why you fear death? You fear death because you haven't come to know the love of God. The only reason why anyone would fear death, it doesn't mean you want to die like you have a death wish. That's not what I'm saying. You're walking around waiting to die. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Because there's plenty of us that don't want to die. I don't want to die. I, I hope that the Lord preserves me to see my children grow up, my wife and I grow old together. You know, we have some good plans for our older years. Amen. But my point is, I'm not afraid to die. I know my life is secure in Christ because of what? Because of the love of God. Because of who he is. And so if you fear death, then what I tell you is, put your faith in Christ. Turn from your sin. Know that there is security in this Savior. Verse 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. 
See, no one can ever say, oh, I love God, and then, you know, I got to know you didn't, you didn't love him before he loved you. He loved you way before you even thought about him. That's the God that we serve. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, growing together, in love, is a revelation of our love for God. This is the last point that I'm going to make here. Growing together in love is a revelation of our love for God. Continue on reading with me. Verse 20. He says this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I've said this before, and I'll say this again. You can love others and not love God, but you cannot love God and not love others. It's possible for you to love because there are plenty of people that are not Christian, they're not believers, and they love people. Just like, just like all of us, imperfectly, indefinitely, different ways. But there's, they're able to love. But here's the thing. You cannot love God and not love other people. You can't say, man, I love God, but I hate him. I love God, and I don't care about him. I don't care about her. I love God, but they don't matter to me. You can't say that because you make yourself a liar because God is love and the nature of God has to be operating within our lives. One of the greatest testimonies to our love for God is our love for other people. Our hearts are never as greatly exposed than in our interactions with others. See, this is why I said in the beginning, it's, you know, you, you, when you're by yourself, it's easy to be holy. And you know, when it's by yourself, it's easy to feel loving. Let me give you an example. My own life, I use my own life because, you know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Here's what happens. There's moments in my life when I'm thinking about my amazing wife and how much I love her, how special she is to me. She's all of these things. Think about all these wonderful plans that I have for her and, you know, take her to dinner or whatever it is that my plan is. And then something will happen. Her and I will have an interaction. <laughs> like I'll call her feeling all loving. And she's in the middle of a moment at work and she doesn't really have the time to be sensitive to me or whatever. And suddenly all of those thoughts of love, all of those wonderful plans and ideas that I had, like, all right, I'll talk to you later. Conversation went from, yo, babe, I want, bye. And so what I have to learn to do is I have to learn to move beyond myself and let the love of God permeate my life. 
But see, my heart is exposed because here is the thing. If I was really concerned with just showing her love, that's what I would do. I would just show her love. Let me give you the example. Jesus Christ on the cross. How many of you, the first time you heard about Jesus, you don't have to raise your hand for this. The first time someone told you about Jesus, you just ran there like, oh, my God, Lord, I love you. None of you. Let me answer it for you. I don't think so anyway. If you did, uh, forgive me. But most of us didn't just run to Jesus. As a matter of fact, statistically speaking now, it takes about seven or eight times for someone to hear the gospel before they respond. So you know what that means? That means that you will deny Jesus seven or eight times before you turn to him. And listen, if you're like me, you don't just deny him like, I don't want you. You deny him ugly. Like you deny him living unholy, unrighteous. I never forget the first time that God ever called me that I remember was in a youth event. I was sitting in the back there um, and I, in, in the back corner and my friend was sitting next to me and this guy was preaching about 1 Samuel chapter 3, I think it is, where Samuel was being called from the, by the Lord. And as the preacher was preaching, I just knew that God was calling me. And when he made the altar call, I didn't respond. I, my friend wasn't moving. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Well, when I walked out of that place, let me tell you something. I went out of that place and I lived unrighteous for at least another year before I responded to the call of God. And something amazing happened. Well, somebody recorded that message and they were like, hey, man, you remember that night you were here? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know, I have that message. I was like, can I have it? And I'll never forget listening to the message. And I began weeping, sobbing because I understood my goodness. You called me that night so clearly, almost audibly, and I didn't respond to you. And you were so merciful and didn't, and didn't allow me to die in my sin. The point is, Jesus died on the cross no matter what you were going to act like. He showed his love for you no matter how many times you were going to reject him. God the Father sent his son for you because he wanted to show you his love. Different. He didn't make a phone call and be like, yo, Ozzy's going to reject me seven times. I ain't dying for that, dude. Like, Jason, he's going to go and hear me calling, and, and he's going to walk out and live like crazy. I'm not going to die for him. He didn't say that. His heart toward us didn't change because of our actions towards him. All he did was showed us his love. He showed us what love was, and he showed us how to be sacrificial in relationship. As stated earlier, we are commanded to love others, and I'll give you some scripture references. Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, that's what Jesus quotes in the scriptures that we looked at. In the Matthew chapter 22, verse 39, and then the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus says, this new command that I give you, that you love others as I have loved you. He tells us not to love one another in word, but indeed, look back real quickly. We're in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. We stop reading in verse 16, but he says this here. He says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So he tells us that we are commanded to love. Our love for others is shown in our love for God and our keeping of his commandments. The scripture we just read, this is how we know the love of God, because that we love God and that we love the brethren because we keep his commandments. Why is that important? Because when I obey the commandments of God, I do no harm to my brothers and sisters. When I obey the commandments of God, I don't hurt other people with, in, 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 any, in any other way other than those ways that they need to be convicted because of their sin. Are you hearing me? 
When I say, God, I'm devoted to your commandments because I love you. And what it also said, it said, and keeping his commandments are not burdensome. See, that's the proof. It's keeping God's commandments like a labor for you. Obeying God is a labor for you. There's a problem with your heart. And God calls you to repent because there should be delight in obedience to the Lord. One of the greatest marked differences between the church and the world, because he talks about overcoming the world here in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5, through, um, 5, and 5, 4, and 5. But one of the marked differences between the church and the world should be the way we deal with people in general. As we live by faith in Jesus, the love of God overwhelms our heart and we keep God's commands, overcoming the temptations to embrace the world system that is rooted in self, not in love. See, the world wants you to live for you. God wants you to live for him and for others. You hear me? See, the problem with all these people that are telling you about, think positive, have this great self-image. The issue with all of that is that it's all rooted in self. It's all rooted in self-actualization. Does that mean you should walk around like you're the worst person on the planet? No. You should have a biblical identity of who you are. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. Jesus died for your salvation. Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. You are valuable to the kingdom. You are part of this kingdom. You should know who you are, but it shouldn't be all about you. You shouldn't have to be reminded all the time of how great you are. You should be reminded all the time how great your Savior is. You should be reminded all the time of how glorious the gospel is. You should be reminded all the time of how awesome your God is the one who redeemed you. You see, we overcome the world, the world system, the world's way of being when the love of God is overwhelming our hearts. And so in closing, are you committed to pleasing God by growing together with others in love? See, here's the reality. The reality is life is tough. Hurt is inevitable. And our natural tendency is to protect ourselves from being harmed again. But God calls us to trust him to protect us as we obey his command to love. So my question is this, what is hindering you from being all in? See, in order for us to come and love the way that God wants us to love, to grow in relationship with other people, we have to be all in. You can't be halfway in. You can't be 50-50. You can't be 75-25. You can't be 80-20. You can't be 90-10. You can't be 95-5. No, you got to be 100% all in. So the question is, what is it that is hindering you relationally in your heart from being all in? Who is it that you need to forgive? Maybe it's some prior pastor. Maybe it's some prior church. Maybe it's a present pastor, your present church. You see? It could be. I'm by far perfect. Who is it you need to forgive? What is it that you need to let go of? Who is it that you need to confront for the hundredth time? Well, Jesus was asked the question, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus said, no, 70 times 70. And then you do the math, you're like, no. Jesus was saying, continually, continually, continually. That's the point. You continue to forgive. You continue to do that. But sometimes you have to confront someone. Who do you need to intentionally reach out to in love? What needs to change in your heart? Jesus is able to heal and restore, but are you willing to surrender and trust his ways above yours? He can heal. He can restore. The question is, are you willing to trust? 
Living to please the Lord can't be done in isolation or in avoidance of people, but in gospel-centered community in which we are committed to growing in love. I'll say that one more time. Living to please the Lord can't be done in isolation or in avoidance of people, but in gospel-centered community in which we are committed to growing in love. So I ask again, what needs to change in your heart? Who is it that you have to forgive? That's, that, that, that's one of the greatest hindrances. What mindsets need to change in order for you to be committed to growing in love? In order for you to really understand how important we are to you and you are to us? Stand your feet, please. Bow your heads with me. Father, as we've heard your word today, we recognize that you are holy, God. We recognize that you are a righteous, righteous God. Father, we just come to you today with our hearts, God. Father, I lift up these people in this place. Father, you know every heart in this house. You know every situation, Lord. You know what is going on, Lord, in the inside and the outside and what's going on around them. And Father, my prayer today is that all of those things would be removed from their thoughts right now and that whatever is in their heart, God, that you have to deal with now, that they would submit to you. They would recognize, that they would recognize where it is that you want to deal with their lives, God, that they would recognize what it is that is hindering them from moving forward in relationships that bring glory and honor to you. Father, I pray for the ones that have been hurt, that have been wounded, those real wounds that are there. God, heal them. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those roots of bitterness that are there. Father, uproot them. I pray for the condemnation that is there. Father God, liberate them. Father, I pray, my God, that where forgiveness is needed, that it would be extended. Where compassion is needed, that it would be expressed, God. And Father, above all things, I pray that our hearts would be right before you. Father, may your love be reflected in our relationships. God, we want you to be glorified above all things. And we pray these things in Jesus' great and glorious name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Give God a hand of praise.